This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. In chapter 1, it was a personal challenge. Nehemiah heard about his beloved Jerusalem and how the walls had been broken down and the gates burned with fire. He was grieved, broken-hearted, and uh, began to mourn and weep and burst into prayer. In chapter 2, the challenge was political. The king asked Nehemiah, what do you need? Nehemiah quickly prayed and then boldly made his requests to the king. In chapter 3, it was the administrative challenge that he faced by positioning workers in the right place at the right time, at the right spot on the wall for the right reasons. In chapter 4, he dealt with the challenge of opposition and discouragement. The workers were afraid of the enemies and convinced that they couldn't work anymore. But Nehemiah rallied the troops and got them back on track, working together under pressure. Now, as we come to chapter 5, this same community is starting to self-destruct because of some festering grievances. The workers now face a new enemy who's harder to conquer than the previous ones. The timing could not have been worse because the walls were nearing completion. But because of what was happening, Nehemiah had to put down his hard hat and, and turn away from the blueprints, turn his attention from the construction of the walls to the walls that were being built up among his workers. While the external enemies actually helped to rally the people, internal conflict threatened to destroy them. Nehemiah chapter 4 ended on a note of great victory. The people were working together in spite of all the opposition. The people of God were working together on the work that they were assigned. Our God will fight for us, was their rally cry. But now in this section of chapter 5, the rebuilding effort comes to a screeching halt. The work of God stopped because of the conflict in the community of faith. The challenge in in chapter 5 is unity. Unity among the family of God. Unity in the family of God was the challenge. And that's often a challenge, isn't it? Unity in the family of God. So let's turn our attention, first of all, to the outcry of the people. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So it appears that one group of men and their wives fought against another group of men and their wives. It's just an awful scene that opens Nehemiah chapter 5. They were fighting with each other instead of uh, fighting for each other. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you to spend your time and your energy on fighting for each other, against a common enemy, and, and not fighting with each other. Our real enemy, our common enemy, is the devil. And so, we don't need to fight against one another, and we don't need to fight against the church down the street that has a different perspective on the doctrines of grace or or, or civil disobedience during the pandemic. Come on. And let's make sure we understand the reason for the strife here in Nehemiah chapter 5. Verse 2, some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. 
in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are, are just as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Nehemiah is not primarily a book about money. It's a book about restoring, rebuilding, and renewing the people of God and the work of God here in Judah. But money problems directly affect all of that. The way we manage our money and the way we, we provide for the work of God directly affects all of this. Some of the families here, some of the large families were without anything to eat because there's a famine, verse 2. Others owned property, yet they had to mortgage their homes and their land just to keep a roof over their heads. Still others were heavy in debt, unable to pay back what they owed, and the king was exerting taxes. They, they had to put some of their children into temporary debt slavery. Not permanent slavery, but temporary debt slavery, which was allowed in the, in, in, in the law of Moses among the Israelites. And sometimes that was the only way that a debt could be repaid. They temporarily sold their sons and daughters into slavery until such time as they earned uh, their keep and they were able to pay back the debt. So this is an awful situation that Nehemiah comes up against. Not only does he have this magnanimous building project, this huge building project of erecting the walls four kilometers in circumference, but now he has to deal with this tremendous conflict in the community of faith. There was a famine. There were too many taxes. There were inflated rates of interest. And worst of all, there was this temporary slavery taking place. It's all there in the text in Nehemiah 5. And Nehemiah's immediate reaction is anger. Take a look at verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So the people had forgotten the Mosaic law. They were trashing the principles, the very principles that God had given them to ensure that they have an abundant life in the land. For example, in Exodus twenty-two twenty-five, the law says... The law of Moses says, if you lend money to one of my people among, who, among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. See, God wants His people to be unique. He wants us to be different than the world. So don't charge your brother interest. That's the thrust of the passage. Lend money to the needy among you. Lend money to the poor. Yes, of course. And let them pay you back. But don't charge interest to the people of God. Taking interest from a fellow Israelite who borrowed because he was living in poverty was forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 23. And so that's why Nehemiah is angry. I mean, the, the, these people are, are trashing the principles that God had given to the community so that they could live in abundance and be provided for. Next, please notice with me Nehemiah's wise response. Verse 7. I took counsel with myself 
and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. <laughs> so Nehemiah brings out the irony of the Jews being redeemed from exile, being, being purchased, so to speak, redeemed out of exile from Babylon back to Judah, only to be sold to their, by their own brothers into slavery. This kind of sinful behavior cannot be tolerated, Nehemiah says. Verse 9, so I said, the, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So here, Nehemiah honestly and openly admits that he and his close associates, some of his own family, are implicated in this injustice and therefore presents his moral challenge as something that he himself needs to respond to. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. It shouldn't be happening in the community of faith. Verse 11, then he tells them, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been extracting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said, Amen, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So after a great start to rebuilding the walls and putting up new gates, everything seems to come to a grinding halt because of the great outcry of some of the men and their wives. There was internal strife, interpersonal conflict taking place. And Nehemiah, God's faithful servant and God's chosen leader in this rebuilding project, gets very angry when he hears the outcry of the people and hears what's happening. He leans into the problem, takes responsibility, and then offers a solution. That's what, that's what good leaders do. That's what good leaders do. They, they lean into problems. They don't run away from problems. They lean into the problems. They take responsibility instead of just sitting around the table hoping that somebody else steps up. They take responsibility and then they offer a solution. That's what good leaders do. You see, the, the injustice had to be addressed and it was Nehemiah that did it. And all the people said, Amen. So be it. We will do as you have said. We will follow God. We will obey God. Yes, amen, amen. So be it. 
And at this point, I mean, I, I'm, breathing, <laughs> I'm breathing a sigh of relief, aren't you? I mean, uh, you consider all the opposition, all the internal conflict, all the stuff, all the junk that Nehemiah had to deal with. And I'm thinking, this whole thing is going to go from bad to worse. Huh? It's going to go from bad to worse. But it doesn't. Because the people respond. They respond. God has pricked their hearts and their consciences, and they respond. Just like you may be responding this morning from wherever you're watching this video or, or listening to this podcast. You're beginning to respond. All the opposition, all the internal conflict, a terrible mess, but the people do come around. So, so what does Nehemiah chapter 5 have to say to us, to, to you and to me? This is 2021, the, the laws, some of the laws and the principles of the Old Testament no longer apply to us. So, so how do we make sense of this passage? How do we apply this portion of God's Word to our lives? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's look at some of the lessons from Nehemiah. First of all, let me remind you, there is a direct correlation between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat each other. We must be the church before we can build the church. We must care for each other in the household of faith before we can begin to love our community and reach them for Christ. Second, relational problems are inevitable and we can't ignore them. Even though it's painful and even though it would be easier to, to turn and run, to ignore these relational fractures, we must face conflict head-on, at home, at work, in the church. Because if we don't, if we let these things go underground, they will take root and begin to bear bitter fruit. That leads me to another lesson. Conflict in the local church delays the work of God and grieves the Spirit of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin against God, and we especially grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin in ways that cause discord, disunity, disharmony within the body. And I think that's because, the, 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 because unity is a, is a special work of the Holy Spirit Himself, according to John chapter 17. We also see that the devil is against us, and the seed of the serpent is enraged. I mean, generally speaking, the challenges that Nehemiah faced, the internal and the external opposition, were authored by or inspired by or motivated by or encouraged by the enemy, the devil himself. Ever since Genesis 3.15, the devil and the world that follows him has been against us. They've been, it's been against the people of God. The world is against the people of God. The devil is against the people of God. And they're enraged whenever we talk about the gospel, whenever we talk about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. They are angry. They are enraged. Peter will exhort us in 1 Peter 5 to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Brothers and sisters, the devil is against you. He's against us. 
And we need to stand firm in our faith. We need to stand on the Word of God and resist the enemy. Another lesson from Nehemiah chapter 5. God is pleased when we care for the poor. Nehemiah 5.10 Let us abandon this exacting of interest, he says. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. Pay it all back. Pay it all back and stop collecting interest from the family of faith. This is really a call for justice. Treat the poor and the needy with love and respect, or one of these days you're going to have to give an account to God in the day of judgment. You know, when Jesus came and started His ministry, one day He went to the synagogue and He read from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus had a big heart for the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the captives, and so should we. The final thing I discovered, the final lesson we lift out of Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning is that genuine life change happens most effectively when we make it public. That's what takes place in verse 13 where Nehemiah says, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied and all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So, when the assembly gathered there, when the assembly said, Amen, they took upon themselves the, the terms of Nehemiah's exhortation and his discourse. They accepted the terms, Amen, Yes, we will do as you have said, and we will do as we have promised. If we don't keep our promise to care for the poor, and if we don't keep our promise to use our money to honor God, then He can shake us. He can take our houses and take our jobs and take our land and even take our lives, because none of that's going to matter if we don't obey God. We will do as we have promised. You see, it was a, a public Affirmation. It was a, a public promise as they stood there before him in the great assembly. And there's something supernaturally powerful about going public. When Jesus called men and women to himself, he called them publicly. The fishermen, he called them as they were drawing their nets and they left their nets immediately and followed him. It was a public calling and a public response to a very great Savior. When Jesus called people to follow him, it was a public thing. When Jesus called people to be baptized, it was, a, it was a public invitation. They had to draw the line in the sand and step over it. It was public. No backroom commitments, no hush-hush. It was all very public. And during these days, it's hard for us to, to declare or affirm anything in person in a public way during this lockdown. 
But right where you are, right now, will you say amen? Will you agree to this? You're watching this service on a screen, on a device, or, or maybe you're listening to a podcast, may, you're at home, or maybe you're sitting at Starbucks or, or, or taking a break at work. You're watching, you're listening somewhere. This assembly in Nehemiah actually stood before him and said, Amen, to what he said. So be it. Let it be true. We will follow God and we will honor Him. Jeff and Terry Ann, will you say Amen? Wherever you are, will you say amen? Will you, you give agreement to this? Keith and Melanie, Ann and Herman, Jeff and Kelly, will you say amen? Will you join the great assembly of the faithful who wants to follow God and obey God? I invite all of you listening today to say amen. Say it out loud right where you are. Amen. We will do this, Lord. We will follow God and we will obey you. Or you can take everything we have. We will follow God and we will not let conflict in the family of God destroy the work of God. We will not let it happen. By the grace of God, we will obey. By the grace of God, we will follow. By the grace of God, we will renew, rebuild, and restore the work of God in this place. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we praise you today for the ongoing powerful, life-changing ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. Lord, we praise you for, for showing us more about living in line with the truth of the gospel. Lord, we praise you for all the freedoms that you've won for us, including the freedom to obey you from our hearts, hearts that have been transformed by your grace. Lord, we praise you for rescuing us from sin and from self, so that we can live grace-fueled lives for kingdom advancement. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. We aim to please you in everything we do. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen.